So for some context, this is just uh, a few years after Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Uh, Corinth is a city on the northern Mediterranean coast, um, and Paul is an itinerant church planner. And so we pick up the story as he leaves uh, the city that is well known to us, Athens, the same modern-day Athens, uh, and goes to Corinth, um, a city that is now just in ruins, but you can still visit the archaeological site. So let's read about what happened uh, when he went to Corinth. So I'm reading from Acts chapter 18, verse 1. Uh, After this, uh, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them because, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged... This man is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd Uh, there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern, whatever. So friends, that's the context of being a Christian in the city of Corinth. And now, uh, Bree, thanks for bringing for us uh, our second reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So the second reading is from 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14 to uh, chapter 3 verse 6. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ through those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death and to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we, like some people, uh, need letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, 
written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Bree. Keep your Bibles open there as we begin by praying. Father, uh, thanks so much uh, for this word. And Father, we all um, have those aromas, um, uh, those fragrances that uh, not only take us home or remind us at home, but aromas that when we smell them, we know that we are home. And Father, I really want to pray that the aroma of today's word, of this gospel, uh, might uh, take us to that forever home and remind us where our true home is. In Jesus' name, Amen. We begin with this uh, quote from Andrew Thorburn. So uh, just looking at my assistant over there. Here we go. Been in the news, as Simon's already mentioned. Today it became clear to me that my own personal Christian faith is not tolerated or permitted in the public space. At least by some and perhaps by many. I was being required to compromise beyond a level that my conscience allowed. Of course, Christian businessman Andrew Thorburn, he's the latest in a growing line uh, of Christians to be unjustly maligned um, by either a company or a sporting franchise board. Um, and of course, he set a new record in corporate Australia. He lasted one day, CEO of a company. It wasn't um, because of something that Andrew Thorburn himself said or did that in the eyes of the Essendon board made him unworthy to be Essendon's football club CEO. But it was just simply because of his evangelical Christian faith and association with the Bible-teaching church community and the gospel they preached. What do you think of Andrew Thorburn's decision to resign from his dream job? Growing up supporting Essendon and Israel, it was his dream job instead of his church. Just think about our own life, our own context, our own world that we're a part of. There are all sorts of uh, potential discouragements that can dent our confidence to stick with Jesus, aren't there? Discouragements that can just come at us uh, and, and silence us, shut our mouths up um, and stop us speaking about Jesus. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. I've made a, uh, a list and you might notice there's a bit of a theme with the letter S. But of course, there's nothing like uh, sin going on unrepented sin in our own life, moral failure, uh, makes us feel unworthy. Then there's just the constant seduction of worldly success, advancing career, security, pursuit of pleasure. Uh, then there's just the standard strife that comes at you, you know, whether it's sickness, illness, relational conflict, uh, terminal illness, the shadow of death coming near, the stresses of life, of ministry. Um, you know, uh, I don't know how many plates you're spinning at the moment. Uh, just feeling stuffed. You know, I've got no energy for this, just surviving. And then there's the slapdowns. Maybe you've had a go at talking to Jesus about people in your world and it uh, hasn't gone so well. And so you think, well, I might stop trying. There's a scientific overreach uh, that some claim. And then there's just the ongoing secularisation and sexualisation of our society. 
you might have your own to add to. But these are just a few things uh, that we that this causes us to feel insecure, uh, unsure in our faith, uh, insufficient, incompetent, you know, um, unqualified to speak. I'll let the other, you know, professional Christians do that. That you know, there's the fears of relational fallout and impact in our family, our friends. These days, the fear of losing your job. I mean, it's real. Is it really worth the potential fallout? Andrew Thorburn, he resigned believing that Jesus is worth more than anything the world had to offer. A recent article in the Advertiser just last week highlighted again that uh, river systems like the River Murray, they die and become unhealthy when, well, from the mouth up, when the mouth closes up. And I thought there was a bit of analogy here for what Paul's telling us and teaching us as Christians in this letter in 2 Corinthians. Because just like a river becomes unhealthy, dies from the mouth up when water stops flowing out, Jesus' apostle knew that Christians and local churches, how quickly they can become unhealthy and die, that is, lose their salvation, when they stop believing in and speaking his gospel, the apostolic gospel. When they, and when they stop standing with those who do. bit of context before we get into our passage this morning is that Paul's writing to a church community that he, he came in, he planted a few years earlier, off the back of five years of affliction, uh, suffering for Jesus, being beaten, imprisoned, being thrown out of town. Um, and, and, and he arrives into Corinth, this middle upper class city, where it's all about getting ahead um, in life. And people respond. In fact, a vision, in a vision, God tells them that there are many in this town. Don't fear them. Keep speaking. Don't fear them. Keep speaking. We heard that in, in that first reading, didn't we? And he does. Stays 18 months. Doesn't end well, though. Suddenly dragged before Gallio. But the point is that, see, these beneficiaries, this local church of Christians, the beneficiaries of his ministry, they should have been his greatest allies, his greatest supporters, Surely. Boasting in Paul's afflictions and sufferings for the gospel. He's our man, look at him. But sadly, they become embarrassed, ashamed to be associated with Paul and his gospel lifestyle of suffering. They begun preferring leaders who are peddling a different message that fitted with the personal aspirations, you know, that for a good life. That didn't involve losing their jobs or giving up their social standing or their popularity or giving up their material comforts or lifestyle. And so Paul writes, he's really concerned, he's in anguish over them, that they're losing the gospel, losing their salvation, because their mouth has become unhealthy. The Corinthians gladly received Paul's word of the cross, but the way of the cross, oh, nah, seems foolish and too costly. And so what Paul does at the end of chapter 2, he gives us a couple of dam-busting reasons. You might recognise this photo from that great movie, you know, Dam Busters. Um, watched it growing up. Um, and uh, it, it's not fear what people may say or do to us. Um, and so Paul writes um, again with the gospel to give us confidence, uh, to, to bust those, those walls, those dams that may be there in our lives, to open our mouths up again, to free us up to stand us up for Jesus, to, to get us speaking for Jesus unashamedly and especially sticking and supporting 
Christian gospel workers who are out there speaking up for Jesus, just like Paul was. And so we, we read, didn't we, from the end of chapter 2, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And the key question that Paul's grappling with is, well, who is sufficient to speak of Jesus, to speak of these things? And as we heard, Paul uses the analogy of a victory parade. It's actually called a pompa triumphalis, a pompa triumphalis. Uh, and the historians record over 300 such parades of a returning victorious Roman general marching through the streets of Rome. And you can see up there, I've got this with the next slide. Joel, how are we going? Next one. There we are. So there's seven groups. Um, you had a group out the front carrying massive placards of conquered cities and the battles, victory battles. Then there was a, uh, a herd of white balls being shuffled along. Uh, they were going to be sacrificed um, at the Temple of Jupiter. Then came a group of the conquered peoples, the conquered barbarians, and many of the leaders, and they, they were actually being marched to their death at the Temple of Jupiter as well. Then came this group in the middle, the incense bearers, um, just there walking along, carrying their incense and, you know, wafting the, the aroma of the incense out to the crowds uh, and everywhere. Following that was the victorious general in his chariot or on his horse and then the rescued peoples, Romans, uh, you know, grateful, so thankful. Finally, they're free. They've been rescued. And then last, you've got the soldiers. So sort of picture that. And as I said, in the middle, you've got these incense bearers. Paul says he gives thanks to God who in Christ leads us in triumphal procession, verse 14. God in Christ Jesus is equated to the victorious general who by his death and resurrection has won the cosmic battle over sin, death and the power of evil. And Paul's just making a simple point here that as Christians we're like these incense bearers walking along in the middle of like the big victory parade wafting out the aroma of God's gospel victory in Jesus wherever we go. Through us God is spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. And in, in the Bible, this equates to the gospel message being sh you know, shared, spoken, taught, preached. But did you notice Paul goes a bit further with the analogy? He says not only are Christians carrying the incense, but he says that Christ's people, a Christian, we are actually ourselves the aroma of Christ to God himself. The gospel of Christ is in us and then through us that message is preached. That is, you can't separate the message of the cross from the way of the cross, from the life that flows out of the cross. And as we just saw with it, you know, you, you can't, Andrew Thorburn, he can't sort of separate out, you know, his faith over here. Yep, we'll put that over here, but then there's just me over here. You can't. And the world knows that. They react not just to our message, but to the messenger.
Just like the aroma of the incense was good news to the saved people, walking behind the general, like coming along as they smelt the aroma, you know, oh, we're free, we're free, we've been rescued. Praise be to God. In contrast, you've got the aroma of the incense. It was bad news. It was death to the conquered people walking in front of the incense bearers. This aroma was the aroma of their defeat, of their imp- for many of them, their impending death. And it was a stench to them. Now, we've seen in the media the sort of reactions uh, and even hate speech coming through the keyboard warriors and even from a premier of a state in Australia. The people who have this posture, this heart attitude towards Jesus, towards his gospel and those bearing the gospel, Christians, the gospel is a stench. And from God's point of view, he's saying it's a stench of death. That they will die, they will face judgment, and they will be cast into hell by Jesus himself. And that is such a really, really, really hard thing for so many of us to hear. We all have people near and dear to us in our lives who are yet to know the the aroma of the gospel as good news for them in comparing Christians to these incense bearers God is not saying we can just allow the aroma of our good works the aroma of our life to permeate those around us and not open our mouth you know like yep just get up and put on the Jesus deodorant you know every morning or like Stephen did shampoo in the hair whatever um that's it um no 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 no. in fact in this whole section Paul's saying the exact opposite isn't he so did you pick that up in verses 16 17 See, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient to be a Christian incense bearer, you know, wafting, um, sharing the gospel of Jesus with people? Now, we expect Paul to say, well, no one is. But instead, he's actually, no, we are. We are, we all are as Christians. He goes on and says, doesn't he, that we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. That is, Um, those who not only peddle their own ideas and philosophies, but they demand to be paid for them. But as people of sincerity, says Paul, that's what we are, people of sincerity, commissioned by God, and we speak, we speak the gospel in Christ, in the sight of God. Now, Lucian, he was a second century writer, um, and he said um, these things about these peddlers that Paul speaks of. The philosophers sell their teaching like tavern keepers, okay? Like people working at a bar and a pub. And most of them mix their wine with water and misrepresent it. In contrast to the liberal false teachers of Paul's day, and as Paul's saying that every Christian is up to the task of talking about Jesus to their fellow human traveller. We just need to stick to the truth of the gospel that's in the Bible. We just need to speak it sincerely. Just be honest, transparent. Don't change it. Don't water it down. Don't add to it. Just speak it as it is. Knowing that not only are we saved by God, but we're all commissioned by God when you become a Christian to be fishers of men and women, of people, to be speakers of God's word. And whenever we open our mouth for Jesus, it's always in the sight of God we are speaking, says Paul. Did you pick up 
um, at the end of that first reading how you know Paul finds himself suddenly hauled before Gallio, the Roman judge of his day, to, and um, now it gets tossed out. Um, but you read through Acts, this is just one of many human leaders and courts and judges that Paul finds himself you know, uh, standing before and having to um, give a defence for what he believes. We can imagine, I mean, if I was just trying to put myself in Andrew Thorburn's shoes, you know, the first day has gone pretty well, he wakes up, he's called in by the board and the surprise and the shock of being given an ultimatum, choose us or your church. So you get up, you go into work tomorrow, your boss hauls you in and says, it's us or your church, what's going to be? In verse 17 and elsewhere in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that acquittal or um, condemnation before human courts, it really wasn't his concern. Paul lived each day, every day, knowing he would one day die and like every human, stand before Jesus, his king. He would stand before him and his life and ministry would be audited. Everything would be brought to light by God's appointed judge, Jesus. As a Christian, Paul spent his life preparing to appear before this heavenly courtroom. This is the one that really matters. For Paul, the promise of Jesus' condemnation and applause, it trumped any other earthly applause or um, commendation that could come his way. Now, I don't know about you, um, I'm not qualified to do so many things in life. <laughs> you know, ringing up the tradie, can you come and fix this, can you do this? Um, and we do, we, we sort of, we just, without thinking, we just outsource, don't we, so much about life these days. And, um, but Paul's encouragement to us this morning is that ordinary Christians, ordinary Christians, just like you and I, with all our quirks and Beautiful imperfections, our fears, our personalities, like everything. God delights, he delights and says, you're all qualified. We're all qualified to open our mouth and speak of his son, the Lord Jesus, to other human beings. Because it's not about you, it's not about um, your intellect or education or prowess or personality or charisma. No, no, no. I mean, just think about it. I mean, maybe... I was going to do it here, but I thought I might set off the alarm, Simon, you know, like the incense sticks. So uh, I'm not going to do that. Just relax. But, um, I mean, just go along and light an incense stick and walk along. And just you just imagine, you know, what qualifications do you need to hold incense and just walk along? Like, you don't need much qualifications, do you? And you just like, oh, look now, this is how you waft it, just, you know, like this. sort of, You know, because we want everyone to sort of get that aroma. You don't need to be qualified to be an incense bearer. And that's the whole point here. It's the fragrance, it's the aroma of the incense that does it, does the rest, that causes the reaction, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, can we see how these few sentences are some of the most encouraging, freeing, and I hope motivating passages to help you stand up more boastfully for Jesus? As a Christian, we've got nothing to be ashamed of. To, to see the shadow of death on your fellow human traveller and the judgment that awaits and just to keep persevering keep speaking this the aroma of this gospel into their lives because through our speaking god is speaking his gospel through us and he's saving people to his forever home address in heaven with him 
that question Paul asked, who is sufficiently qualified to speak about Jesus? What's the answer? Oh, sorry, I couldn't hear you. <laughs> sorry, sorry. One, two, three, here we go. Who is sufficiently qualified to speak about Jesus? Everybody. Now, let's just personalise it and say we are, aren't we? All right, we are sufficiently qualified. That's the whole point here. Who's sufficiently qualified to speak about Jesus this week? Can you hear them over there? So I can't hear them yet, mate. Who, who, who's qualified? Yeah. All right. I think we <laughs> might be getting through here. All right. But we can't know. You can't know. You know, and I'd love to just sort of like, you know, just come on. Resp- we can't know. And it's not our responsibility how people or a person may or may not respond to the aroma of the gospel. Can we? Now, I was up at Roxby this week, as you know, and B, I met B. She's uh, soon to become a, a mum for the first time. She's actually been raised by her dad her whole life. Dad works in the mines. Uh, the father of her baby is long gone. Anyway, six months ago, she was walking past Roxby Community Church. She just thought she'd go in. Uh, she was welcomed. Um, and she actually met um, not just Beth, but she met another young mum who's got a couple of kids and a baby, Gemma. She said, oh, look, come along. There's a new mums group. And so she took her along to that. Um, and she said, oh, hey, we sort of get together during the week and, you know, have a, have a look at uh, the Bible and Jesus. And so now she's coming along to their uh, Bible study group middle of the week, Gemma and her husband, Lockie. And, um, and, and the more she, she comes to church, the, the more she goes to Bible study group, the aroma of the gospel is, just, is, become, is good news to her. I mean, praise God. Sadly, the aroma of this gospel and her daughter's association with the BCA pastor and Christians in the church, that's really on the nose of her dad. He hates the fact. He, he hates church, churches, hates this Christian stuff. Please pray for God's spirit to soften his heart. But as we finish, I just want to finish with a couple more encouragements. The first is this, is do not these beautiful words, they just take the pressure right off us don't they? Like, we don't have to come up with the gospel, invent it. Um, just like a good ambassador, we just got to pass it on, just be passing it on. It's 100% God who changes people by His Spirit, speaking through our speaking. I mean, just think of that, the God of the universe, the risen, reigning Lord Jesus Christ, speaks through my speaking. Wow. Wow. But of course it teaches us, doesn't it, that it's why the, the most precious thing we can always do for ourselves and people around us is, is pray. Develop the daily habit to pray. Pray for the opportunities, the open doors. Pray for courage to sort of make the most of those opportunities when they come our way. Um, and, and I think, you know, for, for Christ's people, local churches, this is the first and most beautiful way together you can just express your shared faith in Jesus, your love for Jesus and love for people around you. That's why I said earlier the most precious way you could partner with God's mission to the 7 million or so people living outside of capital cities is just pray. It doesn't cost, just sign up to receive the prayer diaries um, and, and just begin to pray. Pray as a family. The second encouragement is this. It's those words that Paul opens with. You know, he says, wherever Christ leads us in life we can be confident he's with us not only with us but he's leading us to the very people he wants to speak through our speaking in order to save them 
just before this section, Paul's had to suddenly change his plans from Troas. He was meant to visit the Corinthians. Now he's got to go um, to Macedonia. He's looking for, for Titus. They're pretty angry with him. And so part of his apologetic is say, look, it doesn't matter. With your plans, change plans, you know, tomorrow, next week, next month. You can just trust that in all the decisions and in all those plans, Christ is with us and wanting to speak to us. And he's leading us to those people that he wants to use us as messengers, as posties, if you like, <laughs> delivering a message from God to these people. The McDonald's, they ended up in Roxby because someone thought of them, gave them a call. He hung up the first time, took two more phone calls from the National Director of BCA to get them to think, to pray, and they realised actually just the lostness of people. And so they left a large town, a successful ministry, and there they are with their five kids with medical needs, you name it, living in Roxby to make Christ known. Praise God. I mentioned Gemma married to Lockie. So Lockie is from South Africa, came over with his parents, ended up in Woomera for five years as a, as a lady, grew up there. Back in South Africa, they were part of a Dutch Reformed church. Anyway, grows up, he meets Gemma, get married. Last place she wanted to move to was Roxby Downs. <laughs> Gemma had no history of church or Jesus. Anyway, so they're trying to make a go of it. Two kids, again, medical needs and, 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 and a new little baby. You know, Lockie's off working 12, 14 hour shifts. I mean, you know, it, it's tough. Anyway, so there they are, um, 18 months ago. Gemma's aware she's feeling increasingly anxious as a parent about the future, the future of her kids. She's just not feeling in control at all. Anyway, she's in the habit of going to the Roxby Community Hub where mums and kids go and their kids play and stuff. And Beth, you know, that's the wife of Glenn, not McDonald's, she never goes there, but this day, for some reason, she had to go in there and she bumps into Gemma. She meets her, they start chatting, and Gemma sort of pours her heart out to her a bit. And she said, well, why don't you come along to church? You know, come along. And so she decides to, goes home, Lockie, um, can we go to this Roxby, Roxby church, um, you know, next Sunday? Lockie hasn't been in church for 20 years. And they go along. They're welcomed. And for Lockie, it was like a homecoming. So, um, and for Gemma, she just started to hear and learn the good news. That from the get-go, the gospel was the aroma of life to her. And here they are now running a Bible study group in their own home. And so Christ in his triumph, he's brought Lockie to Australia, brought him to Woomera, brought him to Roxby, met Gemma, brought them there. And through Gemma, B is becoming a Christian. Wherever Christ leads us in life, we can be confident Jesus is with us and leading us to the people he's wanting to share life with and to share Jesus with for their salvation. Did you see Yumchi in the front row of that video? There in the grey jacket, sort of doing his, doing his actions. Mum and Dad, I met them last year, three weeks out from Hong Kong. Couldn't speak a skerrick of English. <laughs> They've come because they know they can get permanent residency so they go live and do life in Roxby Downs. Dad's working in the mines. Anyway... Uh, English is a bit better, bump into him again and he's come along and he's learnt more about Jesus. It was so good seeing Yumchi again at the Epic Kids Club. One of 23 children from over 300 different nations or ancestries who live and do life in Roxby Downs. Who are sufficiently qualified experts teaching Yumchi and others about Jesus? Who were they this week? 
about 15 youth, some as young as 14. There was Mitch preaching his first sermon last Sunday. Mav, who preached his first sermon last night at Sunday night church. Oh, they're not qualified. We bet they are. We saw it, didn't we? We saw the evidence on the video. These kids, you couldn't get enough of it. One family, two, two, two little kids came along crying, didn't want to be there. When they came, at the end of the three days, they were crying. They didn't want to leave. <laughs> Friends, the God of the universe, he's speaking and saving people through our gospel speaking and teaching. We're all qualified to have a go. He's revealing his glory. He's changing people's forever home address just through ordinary Christians teaching others about Jesus. And so wherever Christ leads you in life this week, or this month, or next year, you can be confident that Jesus, you're part of the victory parade. He's leading you. He's there with you, leading you to the people he wants you to have a go sharing life with. Um, not sure if you missed this funeral. Um, did anyone catch up on this one? Yeah, okay. Just thought I'd ask. <laughs> Here's a quote from one of her... Um, you know, addresses, throughout my life, the message and teaching of Christ have been my guide and in them I find hope. About four and a half billion people watched um, the Queen's funeral. They heard of her resurrection hope in Jesus in the face of real death and judgment. 70 years of faithful service to Jesus, her King. And let's face it, 70 years of changing tumultuous times in the world and changing tumultuous times in her own family. Yet, she kept speaking of Christ Jesus as her true king. Why? Because Queen Elizabeth, she lived and she died believing the same gospel that took Glenn and Beth from their more comfortable life to Roxby. Because she lived and died believing the same gospel that led Andrew Thorburn to choose Jesus. A gospel that says Jesus is worth more. He's worth your everything. Let me pray. Most Heavenly Father, thank you for these beautiful, encouraging words. May they be an encouragement this day to help us to show how big and beautiful and worthwhile you are, Lord Jesus, that we might be willing to surrender our all for you, but also that we are all beautifully and wonderfully qualified sufficiently to speak of you, to not only speak the message of the cross, but to take up our own cross and go the way of the cross. We pray this for the sake of those who need to hear the gospel and for the sake of your church that you are building always everywhere and the sake of our salvation and our joy as we fill up in our own flesh the sufferings of your son. For your glory we pray in his precious and mighty name. Amen.